Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. We kick off today's show with some local sports news. And joining me on the show today is Gui Chiai, a local kiteboarder. Hi, Chiai. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a real pleasure to have you as well. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I had Max Meader on this show talking about kiteboarding. I'm pretty sure you know him well. Well, I do um, see him on the news and stuff. Don't really know him personally, and I do hope I can see him one day. Mm. Yeah. You know, talking about that, not a lot of people in Singapore, especially our listeners, know about kiteboarding, even though we did cover this a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you can give us a very quick introduction to kiteboarding and how you got involved in it. Well, I actually just got um, into this kiteboarding this year. So... Not really well versed in kiteboarding just yet, but I do know there's um there's kiteboarding and there's the kite foiling. Mm. So um kiteboarding is more similar to wakeboarding. So I actually have a a background in wakeboarding. So I've been wakeboarding for like over ten years. So um for kiteboarding, it's quite similar. It's like you are on this board that's similar to wakeboarding where you are binded to like a board that looks some like for listeners probably you can imagine something like um the snowboard mm. yeah and then you have the kite attached to you via the harness yep and then for kite foiling it's like you using the foil board so it it sort of like cuts the water faster and you can go at a faster speed and you also use like the foil kite, which is a little different from like the kiteboarding kite, which is like a tube kite, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Mm. Let's talk about, you know, sport from a young age in the sense that you said wakeboarding for almost 10 years. Have you always been involved in wakeboarding or do you, have you done many other sports before getting to wakeboarding? Before wakeboarding, I was like, um, when I was a kid, I was doing swimming. I like... Then I stopped because I kind of finished, like, you know, they used to have, like, those different levels. So, like, bronze, silver, gold, and gold star. So, I kind of got my gold star. Then I stopped swimming. Mm. And then I was doing taekwondo. So, I did all the way to, like, my third pool. Mm. And then I did sailing. And I, I stopped at B squad. So, I didn't go to, like, A squad and then... From A squad, you could actually go to a national team, but I, I stopped at B squad because I fell in love with wakeboarding. So that was how like my sport trajectory was. That's a great segue to my next question for you. How were you introduced to wakeboard? Oh, funny story. So, well, a lot of people were introduced to wakeboard because of friends or like family members. So for me, I was introduced, sort of introduced to wakeboarding via a. Uh, TV advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I started in um, Bedok Reservoir. And I think back then, they were like building condos. So they were advertising um, condo, um, the condo on um, TV. And then I think someone was wakeboarding the background of that advertisement. So I was telling my dad, I was like, oh my God, I want to wakeboard. It's so cool. Right. And just nice, it was um, in this club. So um, there was a brochure that year that said introduction to wakeboarding. And I was like, okay, daddy, I really want to go. So we signed <laughs> up for that. Never looked back. Did it live up to your expectation? Is it still a cool sport for you? I suppose over 10 years you've been involved with it. Did, you, did it meet your expectation at the beginning though? Yeah, it certainly beat my expectations. I mean, it, it is never boring. Like there's so many tricks to try. There's so many things to do like, it's just, I think, in my life that I will never, like, get bored of the sport. You know, it's also a very tight-knit community as well. I think, you know, myself, I went to the cable ski park yesterday and looked at the number of people trying, you know, the cable ski, which is similar to wakeboarding, but it's not really because it's, you're on a cable, right? Yeah. And there seems to be a vibrant fraternity around wakeboarding here in Singapore. Yeah, it is. It is. Like, um, our co community is really close-knitted as well. And we are just, like... Like a very close family, like we just want to help each other and like, um, so basically we just give each other tips and cheer each other on because we know like for some tricks it get really hard so we like we encourage each other and some tricks are really scary to just even try out so like, you know we just like hey let's try together you know that sort of stuff. Mm. You know, let's talk about kite surfing or kite boarding. How did you make that transition there? Like you said, you just started at the start of this year. 
who introduced you to that and what was the opportunity all about for you? So um, David Emery, which you spoke to earlier, um, introduced me to the sport. So I actually heard about this sport before. That it's just that I wasn't very sure how to get into it per se. So um, yeah, so um, David was like, hey, do you want to try it out? Like um, since I have a background in wakeboarding, it'd probably be quite easy to pick it up because I sort of the board sense, I just need to learn about kite control, mm. which is also a very, very important element, I must say. Yeah, so I was like, okay, sure, like, why not? And he was also saying like, um, in like 2024 is in the Olympics and then um, the format is like they needed a girl because Max is already like a potential candidate for the Olympics. And if he doesn't have a partner, then he can't like compete in the Olympics. Mm. That's amazing, isn't it? You're already thinking so far ahead. And Max, as we spoke about earlier, he's traveling around the world competing and he does look like a real medal hopeful. Where does that put you? Like, I suppose you got to also step up your game, pick up a new sport and be good at it. And how is that coming along for you? Well, for me, for now, is to um, pick up the sport first and hopefully like... um. Like, yeah, so basically is to pick up the sport because now I basically, I think I only had like four lessons, mm. I think. Yeah, so it's still really new to me. And so um, I did ask about um, how, okay, so like moving forward, the first thing I want to do is to um, love the sport first because if, mm. if I don't enjoy the sport, I find that there's really um, no point in moving it forward because it's going to be really, really tough. And I don't think that um, doing a sport that I do not like is the way to go forward. Yeah. Mm. And what's the transition like from wakeboarding to kite surfing? Is that completely different? It's similar, like you said, because you got the board sense. And what do you think will be the biggest challenge then for that? It's actually not so bad. So I, I think I managed to stand out on my probably second or third lesson because once I managed to like control the kite and get the power to get up, I could easily get up. So in that sense, it's quite um encouraging. Yeah, because I have the bot sense, which mm. is nice. But obviously, the most challenging part is to have the kite control. And it's a bit daunting sometimes because I'm actually quite light. So <laughs> when there's strong wings coming, I sort of like got carried by the wind and stuff. So... I think that that's one aspect I must really, really um, brush up and learn really well. And it's also um, in the safety point of view. All right, let's go for a quick break. When we come back, we continue this conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. Joining me on the show is Gui Chiai, a local wakeboarder turned kite surfer and kiteboarder. Chiai, just before the break, we were talking about you adapting to the sport of kiteboarding or kite surfing. And I want to talk about your trainer because Mr. Jackson Chua has been appointed as your, I would say, your trainer. And you did say it just before the break as well that you only had like four sessions. Based on the four sessions, what is your current state of mind and what do you think of the sport? Well, um, Jackson has been a very, very nice um, coach. Um, he really, really takes um, um, importance in safety and make sure I really understand um, what is happening because you do not want any accident regarding um, kiteboarding. Yeah, so, um, well, um, so far, I really quite enjoy the sport. So, um, it's really quite therapeutic sometimes when you're just out there and enjoying yourself. Yeah, so, mm. I'm excited to see where this takes me. Mm. Talking about that, what are the plans that you have for kiteboarding? Have you got a roadmap laid in front of you? Um, not really, actually, because um, I'm still learning. So I'm seeing how after like I really like take on the sport and see how that works out. Yeah. Mm. You know, earlier we also sp- spoke about Max trying to get to the Paris 2024 Olympics and you being potentially his partner in, in the event as well. Does that put additional pressure on you to say that, hey, you know what, I better get up to speed because I'm kind of committed to this or you are just very relaxed about this thing. If it happens, happen. It doesn't happen. You get back to doing wakeboarding. Well, um, it does put me a little bit of pressure, but 
yes, I do hope that I do get up to speed to like sort of like um sort of like match up with him so that we can actually potentially um compete in the Olympics. So that that would be really something that um is like kept at the it kept in my mind. Yeah. Hmm. That'd be awesome to represent Singapore at the Olympics, right? For you. Yes, it will be very very exciting because um, it'll be hard for um to get into the Olympics through wakeboarding because in the first place it's still not listed, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. You know, talking about representing the country, have you imagined one day that you'd be able to do that? Whether it be wakeboarding, sea games, or you know, going to the Olympics with kite surfing, have you has that thought ever crossed your mind? So actually, I uh, represented the country in um the sea games for wakeboarding. Mm. So um, it's not entirely new to me, but for to compete in the Olympics is is another leg because you're competing with the world best, and it's. Like you have to go through so many qualifications to like just get into the Olympics, which is already an achievement if I manage to do that. Mm. Let's talk about the Sea Games then. Which Sea Games was this? So I actually competed in three. So the 2015 one in Singapore. Mm. So that was boat, um, wakeboarding behind the boat. And then there was 2017 Sea Games in Malaysia. And that was also behind the boat. And then there was a 2019 one, which was the cable style. So it's the one that's the, that you went to a cable park. Yeah. So mm. that, that version of wakeboarding. Yeah. Which do you prefer? Behind the boat or the cable uh, ski style? Um, that's a very, very tough question because um, they are different. In, they, are very, they are quite similar, but like still very different. So mm. like for cable, it's easier to land tricks and do a lot of variations of tricks and you also have those obstacles uh, where you can do tricks on um, which you do not have on boat so boat is more technical in my opinion and it's um, a bit harder to learn tricks but once you get a trick on boat it's like 100 times more like have a higher sense of achievement than like learning a trick on cable mm. or at least that's for me you know, your role also goes beyond the sport in the sense that you're off the water. You're also a treasurer with the Wakeboard Association, president of the NTU Wakeboard Club. Yes, and correct. How do you juggle all of that? I mean, is that something that you're looking long-term to be part of the administrative side of the sport? Well, I mean, um, I don't mind being um, part of like the administrative side of the sport because, I mean, I benefited so much from the sport and I just want to give back to the sport, help to promote the sport so that more people can enjoy the sport. Mm. Talking about the NTU Wakeboard Club, how big is that group? And, you know, you being the president, you must be a pretty popular person in school. Well, not really because um, <laughs> I think now it's like, you know, COVID period. So I can't really host any like physical, mass physical like gatherings and stuff. So I kind of for like the NTU Wakeboard Club, I just... um try to bring um, wakeboarding affordable to all the NTU kids and um, yeah, and introduce the sport to them. So currently I have like um, probably like 200 overall, I guess, um, wow. participants in um, the cat group. And in fact, I have a few um, NTU students who just recently got into this sport probably like um, in this academic year. So like August last year, they just started and yeah, they have moved on. Like, okay, so for like the cable park, there's like the beginner system, then there's the main system, right? So they've moved on all the way the main system and like even got their own gears, which I'm really, really proud of them. So like, yeah, it's really nice seeing uh, more youngsters picking up this spot. And yeah, I want to talk about that because obviously you're someone who represents the country in Sea Games and now that you're also leading the NTU Wakeboard Club. What's your role like in that? I mean, I suppose you lead by example, but what is your objective? Just to allow more kids to take part in wakeboard or you hope to uncover some gems through what you're doing in NTU for the national team eventually? What, what's your take on that? My goal is to just, um, actually it's just to introduce the sport and let them have fun because, and I mean, through the process of having fun, um, you get, you learn faster and you grow the passion for the sport. And so that is one. And eventually, if like a talent is spotted, then that's good. 
if it doesn't, then I, I guess it's fine because as long as they enjoy the sport, like as a form of like stress relief and stuff. You know, it does look to me as though wakeboarding can be expensive. I look at the gear and all the stuff and even booking the boat and stuff. So it's not really for everyone, is it? Yeah, I must say it's not really for everyone. And I'm glad that my my dad actually supported me in um, the sport. So I'm very thankful for that. So uh, yeah, it can get very expensive. Is there anything being done to make it a bit more affordable within the organization or even you at uh, NTU Wakeboard Club? I'm not sure about the organization now because um, from the WBA side, we are just actually just promoting the sport. Mm. Um, but for the NTU wakeboard side, I try to like um, liaise with the operators if we are going for um, boat, session, boat sessions to like probably like lower the price. And for the um, cable park side, I sort of like um, buy packages so that... Um, and share the package so that um, the students can have a more affordable um, riding session. Mm, excellent work. All right. On that note, I would say like to say thank you so much for your time. Learn a thing or two about wakeboarding and of, of sort kite surfing. I wish you the very best. And hopefully in 2024, we can see you at the Paris Olympic with uh, Max. Yes, I hope so too. Thank you. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. It's time for The Rant, a segment where we talk about anything and everything in sports. Joining me on the show, as usual, are Des Kokil and Philip Go. And if you'd like to join in and share your thoughts with us, the number to dial is 669-11938 or send us a text at 9631193. Gentlemen, welcome. Good morning, Singapore. Good morning, Sassy. Good morning. Uh, Phil, are you as chirpy as Des Kokil this morning? Well, I'm, I'm tickled pink, to be honest with you. I just had an amazing job on radio. So, so yeah, it's, it's, yes, it's a wonderful morning, yes. But what, care, care to share? Yeah, World Cup football every two years. How good is that? Mm, I knew you were going <laughs> to pick up on that one, but uh, that's a topic for another day. I want to start off with the big news that happened in Singapore football last week. Firstly, our speculation of Renato Gaucho for Lion City Sailors didn't happen, so egg on my face, but instead they went with the Korean Kim Do-hoon, former Korean international, he's 50-year-old, who led Ulsan Hyundai to win the AFC Champions League in 2020. Uh, I'll come to you first, Des, on this one. Probably you know him. Big name signing, isn't he? This is just a, a wow moment. I mm. read it and, and, and uh, kind of scoffed at it and said, no, not a chance. This is a wow moment. This is a, a coach who's just led Ulsan Hyundai to the AFC Champions League. His team are top of the um, the K League at the moment. He's he's played in I think he's played in World Cups. He was a super player. He's he's uh, won trophies as a player. Hasn't won that many. He won the Korean FA Cup and now the AFC Champions League. But wow, just wow. How do you other than money? How and why would he he take that step from Korea to Singapore? <laughs> yeah, me. exactly. I, I think uh, that that was uh, one of the things that um, got my head uh, scratching, scratching my head as well. But uh, you know, Phil, it really doesn't matter. He's signed now, right? Obviously, he be- belongs or the, he believes in the project, and he's going to be leading the Lion City Sailors. What does the signing mean to the rest of the league? I mean, the impact. All of a sudden, now uh, all over Asia, people are going to look uh, to the Singapore Premier League and say, "What the Singapore Premier League, the Asian Champions League winner?" A coach is going to Lion City Sailors in the Singapore Premier League. With no yeah, disrespect you, you, to the league, of course. Yeah, Sasi, I, I I think you really now have to have have to sit up and wonder what LCS is trying to build here. I mean, if they're trying to build an empire, they've they've certainly set out all their intent there. I mean, apart from beefing up the squad, uh, bringing all the best players, spending the most money uh, of all time for any player in 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 the uh, in the Singapore Premier League or in Singapore football. Uh, they've now gone out and brought in a coach of a certain pedigree and Asian as well, someone who will have um, not too much trouble adjusting to to our local culture here. And you know, you have to start asking yourself, what exactly he will he be aiming for? I mean, obviously he'll be aiming for results outside of not just in Singapore but outside of Singapore. And also, you have to ask the question, right? With 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 LCS now throwing down the gauntlet. 
they are really challenging all the other clubs to step up. In fact, hmm. it is even a, a challenge to the Football Association of Singapore to step up their game as well. I mean, this this is this is this is this is the ultimate now. I mean, they have they have gone out gone out and say we believe in Singapore football. We believe in exactly what we are doing here. Uh, we believe in the in the brick building we we're, we're doing. And now we're, we're, we've gone out to get someone who we think can mastermind not just a title challenge in Singapore, but also in the region. So, you know, I, I think it's a huge challenge that they've thrown down to Singapore. And, and, and you know, it's, it's to me now, it's, it's a question of how the rest of Singapore football will respond to this. Mm. Kim Do-hoon also played for South Korea in the late 90s and early 2000s. He was a prolific striker playing in his playing days. He scored 30 goals in 72 appearances for the Korean national team. I looked at his uh, highlight reel, um, which included an injury time winner as South Korea stunned Brazil 1-0 in a 1999 uh, friendly in Seoul, Korea. Um, Brazil had the likes of Rivaldo playing there at that time. So he knows big games, he's played, he, he understands the game. What do you think that he will bring to the, to the sailors? Let's not forget, very different set of players. Of course, being in Korea is completely different. The culture is different. The way the players see team managers and, of course, coaches, completely different from our boys over here. What do you think he will bring to the sailors? You've got to hope. I mean, and, and for him to make the move, he he, he knows he's, he's used to dealing with real top class internationals. And uh, the, the the Lion mm. City Sailors boys are a, a, a good bunch of lads, but the, uh, the, the 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 Singapore League and the Singapore national team haven't reached those levels. So we've seen this with the with the with other Korean coaches at home. United not not um, mm. what's the word? Not compromising. Um, and expecting the same from uh, the Singapore international players uh, as he was getting from from Korean players. So I think there's got to be a little bit of uh, compromise from him, not in his standards, not in his professionalism, but in, in, in his expectation perhaps of, of what a player can do, of how quickly a, a player will, will take on what he wants to achieve. The players are great in, the, in their own right, but what, can he achieve what he wants to achieve with this group and how quickly do they, they take that on? Uh, and then for the players, this is the opportunity, I think, to, to really step up because the demands, Aurelio Vidmar was, was a terrific coach. And this is in the same, if not a, a, a better level. Um, Communication-wise, I don't know if Kim Do-hoon uh, has English. Uh, if he has English, great. If he doesn't, it's a potential problem. Um, excuse me about that. Um, uh, so there's got to be a bit of compromise from Kim, as well as the players actually just picking up uh, on, 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 the, uh, on the opportunity that they've been given, uh, both domestically, where first target is Albrecht, and then when they hit the, the AFC, uh, AFC trail, um, which is surely what this target is. It sounds like Lion City trailers are trying to create another job. Mm, Des, you must be a really popular man. People calling you yes, so early in the apologies. morning. But, uh, he's, he's, spent about, <laughs> he, he's actually spent four years with Ulsan and led them to their first Korean Cup final, as we were talking about earlier, uh, adapting to a possession-style attacking football. He also finished uh, second in the K-League in 2019 and 2020. Uh, you know, um, Phil, we spoke about this, that uh, sailors really needed a big name to kickstart their project. We were throwing all sorts of names. Now they got Kim Do-hoon here. Uh, and of course, he's not going to be available with the team until I think this 29th of June because after serving his uh, 21 days quarantine, he'd just be in time to join their AFC campaign when it kicks off on 29th of June against Saigon FC. Do you think the regional teams now will take the sailors a bit more seriously because they've got a coach with real pedigree now? I think they, they will have been taking notice of the sailors even before Kim arrives, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, it's, it's no secret uh, since the appointment of Vidma and since the, they, they've been beefing up the squad, uh, you know, with the arrival of the Brazilians and, and just the number of Singapore internationals in there. And now with the arrival of Harris as well. I mean, this is, it's been no secret that this is one team that is going out uh, very much to establish itself as the team to beat in Singapore. So I, I, I think... Um, if they have not been, you know, taking LCS seriously, um, they will now be sitting up and wondering. Well, let's let's see, you know, what this guy can deliver in his first season. I don't think we should be expecting much in this in this first, you know, this first joust that he's he's going to be uh, having with the, with the team. I I, I think um, whatever it is, it's going to be a bit of a, a bedding in 
for him in 2021. And then perhaps we can see some some um, good things happening next year and, and beyond. Let's hope that he stays around for, for a while. Um, you know, when Des mentioned the last uh, South Korean coach for, for Home United, I, I just couldn't um, help but wonder if he's going to be that strict disciplinarian that comes in and whether the boys are going to fall in. If they don't, then we're going to end up with a, with a situation like before where, you know, a bit of unhappiness in the dressing room over a coach that's overly strict. But, you know, I don't expect anything other than that, actually, from a South Korean. So let's see what happens there. I, I, I'd, I'd uh, say that the, there would be an immediate expectation for him to do well. Uh, that the timing of it is surely mm. to actually hit the AFC um, uh, campaign up uh, uh, live and kicking. I mean, there's a strong team there. There's uh, They've gone through the disruption of losing their coach. They're bringing a big name. The expectation there, because Forrest Lee has spent serious money, I'm assuming, here now. Mm. The expectation will be for them to, yeah. to waltz through that group and <laughs> and go and take on the World Club Championship <laughs> in a couple of years. <laughs> that, I, that's the expectation wow, wow, I'm wow. getting here. <laughs> All right, calm, calm down, Tiger, I mean. because he's got a two and a half year. Uh, he's got a two and a half year contract uh, on, as, as we are reading from the media. All right, time for a break. When we come back, we continue this conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. Joining me on the show are Phil Go and Des Kokil. If you want to join us in the conversation, call us at 669-11938. Uh, let's move on from the Lion City Sailors and still staying with some local news. Again, some speculation around the future of uh, Shaki Hamza, Singapore International, who moved from Kedah to Perak in the Malaysian Super League this season. He's re- rumoured to be signing for the Lion City Sailors. Des, have you heard anything of that? Uh, I haven't, but it wouldn't surprise me because this is a, a pure financial thing in, in Perak. They, they're, they're skint. They've got no money. Um, this was kind of known from the start of the season when Mehmet Jurakovic um, said, uh, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm expensive, so I'm, I'm going to head off. And so Mehmet left. In recent weeks, the likes of Guillermo de Paula, who's a Malaysian, uh, um, um, a Brazilian born, who's now eligible for Malaysia, he moved to Johor. Sharul Saab, the highly um, rated centre back, moved to Johor. Um, uh, Kuala Lumpur have picked up Jay Partiban and Kenny Balraj, again, two international players. The squad has disintegrated. Uh, they went through a period where they didn't pay their players for two, three months at a time. That was really well publicised. Uh, and Shakir, I, I would imagine it's it, it's a it's a financial decision, and all his best mates are leaving. Um, mm. The move when he made at the start of the season wasn't a bad move. Yes, Kedah qualified for AFC Champions League um, a prelim, but Perak weren't too far behind them, um, and and so he was part of a team under a highly rated coach, Mehmet Jurakovic, that had real intentions, maybe of not challenging Johor just yet, but certainly challenging for a top two place. So I understood the move because Shakir, I'm a big fan of Shakir. Um, he's, he's one of those players who likes to take on a challenge. And this was a challenge and it was a, a good looking project, but it just fell apart with the old, old Perak way of, of no money coming in, bills not being paid and now players disappearing left, right and centre. Mm, we got a text message from a listener called Eric. He said, Sassy sponsors need to be convinced to step up too for the SPL. Uh, and it says mm-hmm. that it no need, you know, doesn't matter that uh, the teams are putting money in, some sponsors should come in. Um, Phil, what do you make of that? Yeah, well, everyone knows that, right? But you, 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 I mean, sponsors are sponsors are commercial companies that, you know, if they see value in a product, then they'll come in. I mean, it's, it's just as simple as that. So it is a commercial decision for them. If we produce a product that is attractive enough and, and gets the eyeballs, I'm sure the sponsors will step in. So right now, um, in many ways, the uh, sponsorship of Singapore football is a bit like national service. We must come, We must get back to the days when it is not national service, when it's purely commercial uh, intent. So... Uh, let's let's try and get the product right, get it back to where it's, it, it should be, and then uh, you know, offer the sponsors something that is value for their money. Mm, Eric, our listener, was uh, responding to our previous topic about uh, Kim Do-hoon, who just signed for the Lion City Sailors. And of course, the Lion City Sailors are backed by the C Group, and they are spending a lot of money in terms of trying to put the club on the map. And coming back to our current conversation, um, 
I also want to quickly touch on the Lions World Cup qualifiers. They'll be playing three matches in June, 4th of June against Palestine, 8th of June against Uzbekistan, and the 12th of June against Saudi Arabia. Um, Des, I know you get involved a lot with the Asian football, and the Lions really need to pick up four points. That's what uh, Coach Tatsuma Yoshida, he's saying that four points out of the three matches that's remaining. Uh, is that possible, you think, in Group D? Well, I, I've, I've been following Uzbekistan and Saudi quite closely. I, have, I've, I've, uh, I was in Uzbekistan doing some work for their FA, so I've been following them. They're a good team. They are a very, very decent team. They've got players playing in, in Europe and in the AFC Champions League. Uh, they've got in Paktakor, uh, one, one of the bigger clubs who have ambitions to win the AFC Champions League. And Saudi are, are Saudi. Saudi are full of big-name players. Um, so what I'm, do, I'm doing here is I'm saying the opposition that Singapore face is, is mighty uh, from an Asian perspective. And uh, if Singapore were to pick up four points out of those uh, three games, I think Singapore would have done well. Uh, it, it's, a good, it's a good group of players. It's, it's a, a solid group of professionals. But the opposition that they are facing play at a consistently different level um, not week in, week out, because nobody's playing at the moment, but you know what I mean? At the international level, uh, they, they've got experience, they've, they've got a, a pedigree behind them. But the very fact that Singapore are talking about hitting into this and they, the ambition is there and the target set, I think is encouraging uh, for, for the national team. But it, it is a tough task. Um, the, 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 those, that, that opposition is, is good opposition. Um, Phil, because if you look at the past couple of games that they've played, um, Palestine, I suppose, is a team that it's beatable, right? That's, that's three points there. Picking up a point against Uzbekistan or Saudi Arabia will be a massive result, right? So that, that would be essentially the key, isn't it? I mean, when I, when I looked at the situation and, and realized that, firstly, our boys haven't played an, an international match since November 2019. So that's a year and a half that they haven't been out there. But the fact that they are going into these final three matches with mathematically the chance of topping the group if they win all three matches. Mathematically, I'm saying that you know, and this one percent chance is still one percent chance. But the fact that they are they're sitting in that position, and we're in a very good position to finally, you know, do something that Singapore football has never done before, which is to qualify for the Asian Cup. In that position, mm. fate in our hands. What, what a wonderful chance and an opportunity for the Lions, for the players, for the team, for the setup, to finally do the um, Football Association of Singapore a favour and actually, you know, achieve this so-called goal that, that we've always thought to be unattainable. We came so close to doing it when Radi was in charge, when Radi Abramovich was in charge. And now, with, with Yoshida there, you know, quietly doing his things, it's within reach. And, and I just think, you know, you're heading into this mini tournament, you know, three matches over 12 days in uh, oh, eight days in, 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 in one place, which is like a bit of a mini tournament going on. It's not impossible. I, 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 could, I, could, I could really see, you know, the Lions going out there, you know, playing their hearts out for that one point against either the Uzbeks or, or, or the Saudi Arabians and, and you know, mm. and, and to kick it off by, 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 by beating Palestine. So, I, you know, I, in my heart, my heart, I'm backing the boys to actually get it done. My head tells me that, you know, wow, this is such a tough, tough thing. But my heart tells me that the boys have a chance and they need to go out and, 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 and grab it and, and get the job done. So I'm wishing them all the best. And I, I wish they have a good warm up, you know, with, with Afghanistan, with Afghanistan in, in Dubai. Firstly, you know, get the spirits up and then go out and, and, and do this massive job ahead of them. Mm. All right, uh, wishing the Lions all the best. Uh, when we come back from this break, we continue this conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. This is The Rant, and joining me on the show are Des Kokil and Philip Goh. Uh, if you want to join us and give us your thoughts, you can call us at 669-11938 or be like Eric, send us a text at 963-11938. Uh, gentlemen, let's talk about last weekend's English FA Cup Finals. Leicester City beat uh, Chelsea 1-0 to take the trophy for the first time in their club history. But the bigger story came out after... Um, of course, the celebrate after the match and the celebration, Kashmir Michael ran over and invited the chairman Kuntop to come and join them um, in the team celebration as well. In an era where owners are deeply hated by both players and fans, this was really great to see, wasn't it, uh, Des? 
Well, a couple of things here. I, I, I don't think generally owners are hated by by players and fans. Of course, they're not. Uh, they're, they're they're looked at with um, with skewif. Some some are some are really not liked. But uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't put all owners in the, into that category. Um, so and, and the Leicester, the Leicester thing is a, is a great story. I, I still maintain though that Chelsea were robbed by the stupidity of VAR, but that would have denied us the the heartwarming figure of of, um, uh, of top going onto the the pitch and hugging the FA Cup uh, helps to be a billionaire. That that's always a good thing for a, for a club to do well. Um, so he's done well. So what 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 you're getting from me here, Sassy, is a little bit of going. Come on, let's 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 talk serious. Yes, it's a lovely story, but this is hardly uh, of a kid who's come out of poverty and has eventually achieved all his dreams. This is a billionaire who's invested very wisely in a football club. Let the footballers do it, and being given a, a little bit of a, a share of the of, of the of the glory when it happened. Owners should be um, heard and not seen in my book. <laughs> so I, I'm not going with all the uh, all the gush that everybody else in the world seems to be going with. I thought it was a, a nice moment, but gosh, he's, he, he doesn't need these kind of moments to make himself feel good. Well, you're a hard man to please, Des. Uh, what, about, what, what do you think of uh, that heartwarming moment, uh, Phil? Are you on the same boat with uh, Des? No, it was, it was, it was not, not, not on the same boat as, as, as Des, obviously. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed that moment. I enjoyed the moment. I'm sorry, Des. I, 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 I'm a bit of a softie at times, but I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the moment. Um, like Des, I, I thought, you know, Chelsea's equaliser was, was a, the decision on not allowing that one was a bad one. But I, I do think that, you know, at, at the end of the day, that fairy tale finish for Leicester, the fact that they've not just uh, won the Premiership, uh, but also added an FA Cup. That 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 kind of shows us that you know football is still alive. There's that that fairy tale still do come true. But I I I want to think about all the Asian owners that have gone to England and tried their hand at, at owning British clubs, and none of them have come away, you know, doing as well as this Thai family. And and you know if if I think back on on what one of our Malaysian billionaires went over and tried to do with Cardiff City, and 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 you know first thing he did. Uh, try to change their crest, try to change their name, change the <laughs> colors, you know, impose his ways. And I think, why do you go out and do that? You know, and I do agree with with Des. You know, um, not 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 heard and not seen if you, if you, if if it's possible. And and don't go out and make splashy moves like that. You know, you try you're trying to change a hundred years of tradition because I have the money, all right? I have the money. I I get to call the shots. I mean, that is entirely the wrong attitude. And obviously, when you start off on that kind of footing, where do you expect this to go? I mean, the, the, the Thai billionaire made a brilliant move by not only um, attracting the, the, the correct coach to come along, um, he also built a nice team around, around the coach to actually achieve the goal. I, Leicester City's um, achievement, you know, winning from what, five, uh, the odds of 5,000 5, to one out, I don't think we'll ever see that again in my lifetime. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, these guys went about things the right way. We've we've also seen Indian owners in own, buying Blackburn Rovers and you know really not being the most popular people in the world either. So you know owners should take lead took the lead from from the Thai billionaires who came in and quietly did their stuff. I mean the tragedy of that helicopter crash only added to the legend. But at the end of the day, on the football side of things, you know they did the they did the things things the correct way and they got the results that come from that. Mm. Here's one thing for you, Des, because last year, uh, Leicestershire Live reported that a survey of 3,000 English football supporters voted King Power as the best club owners in the Premier League. The report also mentioned that how Kun Top actually paid for 75 hotel rooms for a group of fans who got stuck in Calais in, Fr in France, sorry, in Belgium, uh, during a storm Sierra after travelling to support Leicester's Belgian sister club, uh, Leuven. So, he's actually not just done it for show he's actually this genuinely comes from the heart right and yet you know it's very hard to convince you no it's not hard to convince me i, I did say it was a very heartwarming situation and he he's put mm. football people in charge and he's made leicester very much um a part of the community and I, I think i think there were some great parallels there that phil pulled up of um he's let footballers uh, football people do the, the football he's he's, he's put a, a a good um uh, the, the stadium with King Power, etc., is is there? Uh, it, it's clearly a project that's worked. 
but my my argument on on all of this, and you, you see you see it in in Asia an awful lot. Very often the the money men are the ones who come and take the uh, the plaudits at the end. And yes, uh, maybe I was being a little bit harsh. It was it was it was a nice mm. moment. And he's done things well. But I I, I still think that a, a director. Uh, or even even the chairman, even the coach, even in the emotional circumstances of his after his father's he uh, helicopter uh, death, which was incredibly emotional, I I'm not sure they should be centre stage. I'm really not because it's it's the wrong focus. Yuri Tielemans hasn't had a quarter of the attention. Yuri Tielemans is the story. Oh, what a wonderful cup final winning goal, and nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about the game of football that, uh, that that we've just seen. One of the better FA Cup finals that we, we we've seen because um, Chelsea had a go for it. They didn't play awfully well, but they had a go. But the game gets forgotten uh, in a in a nice feel good factor move. But the game gets forgotten. Yes, maybe we should uh, give give more more kudos to, to the good news and um, the tie ownership is good news. Uh, but it, it's only good news because they've done it well. They've trusted people, uh, Brendan Rodgers and his team, and they've, for the most part, been in the background. That's just my little thing about them. Uh, th th this being the headline, as you said. So this, somebody, um, uh, an owner uh, holding the cup at the end is the headline. Man, uh, that, that's the bit I've got an issue with. But uh, feel good story. Okay, I step back a little bit from my previous stance, but not too far. Mm. To be fair to Kuntop, I think it was Kasper uh, Spreichel that really wanted him to come onto the pitch. You could see that he you know, visibly didn't want to be there. Anyway, on that note, let's go for a break. When we come back, we continue this conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. This is The Rant, and joining me on the show are Philip Goh and Desko Kiel. Um, before we head on and talk about the Olympics, I want to talk about another news that uh, made the headlines last week. Uh, it was Ajax Amsterdam. After winning their Eredivisie, uh, what they did was they took the trophy and melted it down and made momentous for their season ticket holders. The trophy was adult, um, awarded to Ajax for their 35th top flight title success. Phil, how amazing is that when you got, you know, we've been talking about owners, we were talking about team, uh, teams, rather. Now we've got a club that say, you know what, our, our win, our title and all our achievement belongs to the fans. And they've actually made like little stars and given out to uh, 40,000 of your season ticket holders. Amazing, isn't it? Well, I have two reactions to that. So the first one is, wow, that's, that's a great thing they did. My second reaction is, are they allowed to do that? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> is, is, that, is, is that a challenge trophy that, that is being awarded? What if the, the FA comes around to them and say, where's the trophy? You know, we, we got to give it to the to win, winner next year. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful sure it's headline. A <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's truly a wonderful headline. It's, it's, it, we, we don't hear enough of what clubs do for their fans, do we? I mean, this, this, is, this is one of those days when, you know, we, 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 we think about it. We look at the times we are in right now. And, you know, it just goes to show you that, you know, there are clubs out there that have a heart um, that do think about what their fans mean to them. And, and the fact that the, the teams are very much a, a big part of what the club is. I mean, there are clubs out there that think, you know, they, they, are, they are power unto themselves and, and that, you know, the fans are just merely paying customers. So, you know, as, as, as soon as they start thinking of their fans as paying customers, you know, you know that, that all is lost. So the, the, the whole idea of the European mm. Super League was was very much in that line where all fans are customers. Uh, whether you're someone who, who bought a season ticket or you're someone from Asia who comes in and pay big money, you're all customers. And at the end of the day, you're, you're just being seen as the, the, the suckers who are putting up the money to watch the football. But for Ajax to go and do mm. something like that, and they are one of the biggest clubs in the world, not just, not just in, in, in the Netherlands, for them to go out and do something like this just shows us that, you know, there are still uh, football people out there who regard football in the correct way. And, and I'm very pleased to, to actually see something like this. Mm. Forget about Ajax melting the trophy. Uh, does this headlines melt your heart, Des? Utterly disrespectful to the Eredivisie. <laughs> Utterly. <laughs> what next? Okay, okay you, go you on. Go, you go and win the World Cup, you melt that down and spread that amongst the population because it's all about the fans. It's all about the fans, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to school and give the children a certificate for turning up. Oh, the fans turned up. They watched us on television. Let's give them a gold piece of the Eredivisie title. 
my giddy aunt. Let's just get this into perspective, shall we? The trophy is there to be won by the footballers. Yes, the player, uh, the, the fans are an important part of that, but you do not give them little pats on the head and prizes and, and to be utterly disrespectful for the trophy. As quite rightly Phil says, somebody says, okay, where's the trophy? Oh, we made a coffee. Oh, so, so what we actually fought for, the, tro the, the prize at the end that you've won, that, we've, that, we, that has got real history to it, you decided to melt it down. You may as well just throw it in the bin. Oh, but we gave it to the fans. You, but you haven't got, got a trophy coming back for us. I just thought it was utterly, incredibly disrespectful. And of course, the world is gushing about it. Isn't it lovely? Isn't the world a lovely place? No, it's not. This is, this is just going too far in looking after fans and treating them as, as um, oh, well done boys, well done boys. Fans have nothing to do with putting the ball in the back of the net. It's, there's, there should be a symbiotic relationship. There should be a healthy thumbs up. There should be um, a, 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 a cord between fans and, and club for melting down a trophy. Tell you what, the World Cup is next. And nobody, if, if nothing happens here, people can say, but Ajax did it. And then they'll do the European Championship and the Champions League and all big ears will disappear once again. Ah, but it's only a copy. You've got, you've got the completely wrong. I, I just thought this was you utterly... I'm, I'm, I'm confused here. I'm, I'm confused here. I'm confused here because in in some instances you have always fought, fought for the fans. You say, "Oh, the fans yeah. are the first. They their first. They should be first." And now you're saying when somebody does that, you're saying, "Oh, that's disrespectful." I mean, which is which? It's, dis it's disrespectful to the trophy. It's disrespectful to the organisers. Disrespectful to the league. It's disrespectful to. It's a replica. Uh, to the it's a replica. They melted on. It, that's not what it said. They, it, they, they receive a trophy. They receive a trophy. Is it, the, is it the trophy that they received or was it a replica? If it's the trophy they received, so, so then it really it's matter? disrespectful. Does it really matter if it's a... Yes, it really does, does matter. It really matter it does, it's... Yeah, it does matter. Absolutely it matters because that's the trophy they've been given uh, to display. So they're, they're, they're going to have their board of honour and where, where, what they're going to have in 2021, a, a space or one, one of the little nuggets... It's, it's just going over the top. It's, so, human race has the ability to swing massively one way, then the other. Oh, we hate the fans. Oh, we love the fans. Oh, we hate the fans. Somewhere in the middle. It, it was a trophy. You, you, you show respect for the trophy that you won. That's what you do. That's not showing respect to the trophy that you won. What about uh, impacting the lives of 40,000 people because they got this memento and that's something that they hang on to for the rest of their lives? Okay, so I'm a, I, I'm a Feyenoord fan. Suddenly, I'll say, "Hey, hey!" I, I became a, I became, a, sorry, I'm a, um, I became a, an Ajax fan. Or you're saying, "Ah, oh, they they bought season tickets. Season tickets? Gosh, I've been a season ticket holder at Anfield since 1996, so I'm paying for it. If Liverpool win the trophy, I certainly do not expect for my one appearance a year to actually receive a gold ingot from the Premier League trophy being melted down." It's just mm. farcical. That, that's that's just because that's just because you are a Liverpool fan, and that's what Liverpool does to their fans. No, anyway, Liverpool on don't that note, let's, let's, let's move on. Let's move don't on. Let's move on don't because be we got a bigger topic to talk about: the Olympics, of course, because we are only about sixty days left to the Olympics. And uh, in a recent poll, eighty percent of the Japanese population they really opposed to the Olympics. Um, and this is getting really, really interesting because I was um, list, obviously reading and doing some research. Um, I wanted to find out a little bit more um, about who really makes these decisions, like who can really go on and, and make a decision. So I, I saw an article on Yahoo News. It said reportedly that uh, legally neither Japan, Tokyo, the Japanese Olympic Committee, nor Tokyo 2020 Organizing Committee has the power to cancel the Games. A contract they signed in 2013 um, when they won the rights to host the Olympic Games grants the power exclusively to IOC. Uh, Phil, I want to come to you on this. Do you know? Did you know about this? Yeah, I knew about it last week when I told you that, you know, <laughs> that, that analogy about holding a party in your house, but you're not allowed to cancel it. And, 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 and right mm. now, I'm actually thinking, should I start a petition on Change.org saying, you know, free Tokyo, 2020, you know, free the city of Tokyo from the grips of their kidnapper, you know, IOC. Because it seems like that's the situation we're in right now, where, where you know, the, the city of Tokyo, uh, the Japanese government is being held hostage by the IOC. I mean, of course, the out clause for them is if, if there's, there's a natural, natural catastrophe of some sort that, you know, this allows this particular event from going ahead, then no one's, 
no one's to be blamed and you can both call it off. I think what the Japanese government is doing right now is holding out for the IOC to come to its senses and say, let's call this off. It's too complicated. Let's call it off. And then they'll mutually agree. And then no one has to pay each other the amount of reparation that they're hoping for. Because that's exactly yeah. what's going to happen next. If, if Japan decides at the very last minute that this is too much, our people don't want it, we have to call it off. They have to end up paying something like four or five billion US dollars to the IOC, or the IOC has the right to sue them. Uh, even, even though the article did go ahead to say that it, it's not going to happen, the IOC won't be going around suing governments anyway. But the fact of the matter is, right now, Japan is being held hostage by the IOC. So this is a situation that's unprecedented. Obviously, the, 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 the pandemic is unprecedented, but some sense has to prevail from all this. But what we are seeing right now is in the last 48 hours, all the big IOC chiefs have come out to say that these games will go on regardless. Regardless, even if there's mm. an emergency in place, come hell or high water, this is going to carry on. So you I'm, know what, I'm what's happened. That the Olympics will happen. Yeah, prominent business leaders have spoken out against the Olympics. Hiroshi Mikitani, uh, Mikitani uh, chief executive online retainer, Rakuten, he called the Games a suicide mission. SoftBank chief executive uh, Masayoshi Son, he also told CNBC that he'll be afraid for Japan and other countries if the Olympics uh, were held. Um, this, the big guns are coming to say, don't do it. Now, everybody, the population is saying, no, don't do it. But IOC is insisting that this should happen. Um, as someone who's been observing sports for a long, long time, where do you stand on this? And we've been talking about this for weeks now. We have. And my, my, my consistent answer has been, if, if, if the authorities say it's safe, then, then it should go ahead. But the authorities aren't the IOC. The IOC are the ones who are, who are saying it. John, John Coates in the, in the news, uh, in, the, in the lead up to, to this program, he was pretty emphatic that the games will go ahead uh, no matter what. Uh, the fact that the IOC are the ones who do have the final decision legally is 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 a strange one, and it just shows the the power of the sports authorities, which is which is out of kilter with where the power of sports authorities should be. In my way, sports should be enjoyed. Um, but if so, I'm 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 changing my mind. I want the I want the Olympics to go ahead. I really do. But if the general perception is that it would be seen as a danger or a genuine suicide mission, as as that uh, Rakuten boss said, then I don't see there's any way in which you, you can do it. I, I, I wish it was different, uh, but the IOC are, are thinking dollars, I'm sure, um, and the Japanese public have got to look after the Japanese public. So whilst I'd love it to go ahead, I do believe the people power must, in the end, win. It, it must mm. win. All right, gentlemen, I think that uh, brings us to the end of this segment here today. Thank you so much for your time and uh, solid as always. Enjoy the rest of the weekend and I'll speak to you next week. Give us some easy topics one week, Sas. Easy. <laughs> thanks, right. thanks, Sassy. Thanks and a big shout out to our friend Milton Tan who's getting married right now and we're watching him on YouTube. All right. Cheers, Milton. Uh, Cheers. <laughs>